0: Uh, over the past three weeks, we've been talking about women of the Bible, and I'll be honest with you, I've learned quite a bit these past uh, three weeks by diving in and look at these extraordinary uh, ladies in, in Scripture. You may remember that we started with Lemuel's mother, as depicted in Psalm 31, and then we talked about Rahab, which that was a little different for me. And then this past Sunday, we talked about Mary and Martha. And that was a little different for me as well as I don't think I'd ever preached uh, on Mary and Martha in an entire sermon before. Today might be the most different of all, however, as we turn our attention back to the Old Testament. Uh, A lot of you, you've heard of Mary and Martha. A lot of you, you've heard of Rahab. A lot of you have heard of Lemuel's mother, at least Uh, what a a Proverbs 31 woman is supposed to be like, whether you knew Lemuel's mother, who she was or not. You've at least heard of those. Today we're going to talk about a person who's hardly ever discussed in conversations in the Bible, at least whenever I'm having these conversations with people uh, about Scripture, this name hardly ever comes up. But it's a test. It's a it's a story in the Old Testament that I think is pretty incredible. And this lady's name in the Bible that we're going to talk about is Jehosheba, right? You're like, oh, yeah, I've been waiting for Ron to preach on Jehoshaphat. A lot of you have been sitting out there thinking that. I know, right? You're probably thinking, Jehoshaphat, what? Uh, Maybe some of you have heard of Jehoshaphat, right? Apparently, he had some athletic ability, right? Jehoshaphat because he was jumping Jehoshaphat, right? Okay, no, that wasn't funny. All right, but anyway, I thought it was. Uh, That's all I got for you. Sorry. Jehoshaphat, her name means fullness, of the Lord or oath of the lord that 's what Jehoshaphat means uh, Jehoshapba is is uh, fullness or uh, oath of uh, the Lord and in all of my years of being in the church not only have I never preached about this incredible woman and the choice that she made i don 't think i 've ever heard anyone else preach a sermon on on this or not so this is all new to me, and I remember talking about her in Bible college, some maybe in Old Testament history, but I really had to dive in and do some study this week about who this lady was. And you're thinking, well, if you didn't know anything about her, why in the world are you preaching on her? I'll be honest, I was trying to find somebody really obscure, right? Because we know all these other stories, and they're so familiar. So I just Googled obscure women in the Bible, and, and I got this list of about 10 different people. And so I thought, Jehoshaphat, that's one that I don't know a whole lot lot about, so I'm going to guess you don't either, so that's where we landed, uh, and, and this is an amazing uh, story, first little background, there was a king uh, named Jehoram, now some of you have probably heard that name, uh, he had a son by the name of Ahaziah, uh, or Ahaziah as some might pronounce it, and he was the next in line to become the king whenever his dad passed away well Jehoram you might know was not a good king at all in fact he was pretty evil and scripture tells us that he died a very horrible death in fact he was so bad Jehoram was so bad it says in 2nd Chronicles chapter 21 verse 20 no one was sorry that he died yikes that's, that's pretty, can you imagine? No one was sorry when he died. goes on to say, they buried him in the city of David, but not in the royal cemetery. So not only was he this bad dude that nobody liked, they didn't think he was even worthy enough to be buried in the royal cemetery with all of the other kings. So that tells you a little bit about this guy, Jehoram, right? Uh, really, really bad dude. Nobody had anything good to say about him at all. Kind of reminds me of the story of this guy that... that um, uh, Him and his brother attended this church, and they were both very, very wealthy, but they were very, very wicked. And they obtained their wealth by doing really, really bad things. And they both lived a very wild life, and they used their wealth to cover up dark sides of their lives. And and they both attended this same church, and they gave large sums of money to the church for various church things, but they certainly were not believers like they should be. Well, suddenly, one of the brothers died, and the preacher was asked to preach his funeral. The surviving brother gave the preacher an envelope and said, here's a check that is for the entire amount to completely give you a new sanctuary, brand new sanctuary, all the money's here. I only ask one favor. When you get up to preach at the funeral, you have to tell everybody that my brother was a real saint, And the preacher, he was in this dilemma because he really wanted this this sanctuary. He wanted the check, but he didn't see how he could get up and say that this guy was a real saint in front of all of these people. And then he had an idea. He gave his brother his word. All right, I'll do it. He said, I will get up there and I'll tell everybody in the church that your brother was a real saint. And so he went and deposited the check into the bank. The next day at the funeral, he gets up and says, the man you see in this casket before you is an ungodly sinner. He was wicked to the core. He was a drunk. He obtained his riches illegally. He cheated on his wife. He wasn't a good person at all. But compared to his brother, he was a real saint. So, Jehoram was kind of like this, right? There was nothing good about him at all. And then we read in 2 Chronicles chapter twenty. 2 Verse 3 That Athaliah, who was Ahaziah's mother, encouraged him to do evil. Now, this mom was not a nurturing mother at all uh, by any stretch of the imagination. She wasn't a whole lot better. And uh, her father's family became uh, his trusted av- advisors, and this eventually led him to ruin. And what Ahaziah thought would be a visit to a sick comrade turned out to be the end for him. They set him up, and they had him killed, right? They had him hunted down. They had him killed. And I know this sounds like a Hollywood movie, right? This is is an incredible story. And the reason they had him killed was because it left an opening to be filled by Athaliah, right? Athaliah was the mother, the wicked mother of Ahaziah. And so Athaliah, she's... A little more background about her. She's the granddaughter of a guy by the name of King Omri. Now, you guys are going to be tested over this, so make sure you're getting all this history right. King Omri was the sixth king of Israel. He um, was just a, a really, really bad dude, and, and um, King Ahab was Athaliah's father. So here we've got Ahab. Do you all remember who Ahab was married to? This woman named Jezebel, right? So Ahab and Jezebel, this Athaliah that we're talking about, this is their daughter. And so she carries on Omri's deplorable ways, carries on Ahab and Jezebel's ways. And so she's raised in this long line of dysfunction. And she carries this legacy over to her kids. And she hears about her son's death, right? She's realizing, My son's dead. She doesn't go into mourning. She's not weeping over losing a child. She's thinking, this is my chance to become the queen. And so she begins to systematically... Wipe out the entire line so that she can be the next in line to become the queen so that she can rule. This means, and I kind of picture her going through the royal castle looking for her grandchildren so she can murder them. Can you imagine just how wicked this woman must be to have this kind of an attitude? And this is where Jehoshaphat comes in. What Jehoshaphat does is she, is she has this incredible act of courage. And, and she, here you've got you to think, too, she's this, this woman that's in this incredibly long line of wicked, wicked people. And then all this stuff's going on right under her nose. And this is what happens in 2 Chronicles chapter 22, verses 10 through 12. When Athaliah, the mother of King Ahaziah of Judah, learned that her son was dead, she began to destroy the rest of Judah's royal family. But Ahaziah's sister, Jehosheba, the daughter of King Jehoram, took Ahaziah's infant son, Joash, some of you might remember that name, Stole him away from among the rest of the king's children who were about to be killed. She put Joash and his nurse in a bedroom. In this way, Jehosheba, wife Jehoiada, the priest and sister of Ahaziah, hid the child so that Athaliah could not return to murder him. This is an incredible story of this lady who... Sees an injustice happening and she steps in. And this just this tiny little word, but in chapter 22, verse 11, it gives us hope that her plans would thwart what the evil woman had in store. Jehoshaphat, who's a sister of Haziah, wife to Jehoiada, uh, who's, who's a priest, right, and, and is an uncle to uh, Joash. They took him and they hid him, okay? She quickly moved him out of the way. She takes a nurse, puts him in a bedroom until they are able to escape to the temple. And so Joash was safely kept inside the house of God for six years. This wasn't just a one-time thing. This wasn't just a, oh, I'm going to take him and hide him. This is a commitment for the next Several years, she didn't even know how long it was going to be. It only took about six years, but she didn't know how long it was going to be. She wanted to make sure that Joash remained in the royal line. So she took him and hid him and safely kept him in the house of God and and watched over him every single day and kept him safe. And Joash was seven years old before the priest, along with a secret group of leaders, attempted to overthrow Athaliah. And they were successful. And Joash was crowned the king of Judah at the age of seven. Now, this is important. This is an important story for us to know. You think, man, this is, this is like very, uh, again, very Hollywood, very dramatic. Why do we need to know this? The reason we need to know this is because Joash was in the line of David. And the Bible says... That the Messiah would come from the line of David. The Messiah would come from his lineage. In 2 Samuel 7, um, we we read about that. And so the very word of God would be born as prophesied, right? The word would become flesh. That word would be Jesus and would be in the line of David. And God used Jehoshaphat in this, this one act of courage, To fulfill the promise to all generations that the son of God would be exactly who he was prophesied to be. And Jehoshaphat, she didn't even think about all this, right? She's just a person who in this moment put herself in grave danger, went against her crazy stepmother. And she acted incredibly courageously to protect her brother's infant son. So that he could be the heir. So that he could be the king. And through her actions, this is an incredible thing as well. She broke the family cycle. Remember back, we go all the way back to Omri. And I told you what a wicked dude he was. And then generation after generation after generation, we've got all these wicked people making all of these bad choices. Just one act, Jehoshaphat broke the cycle of these people doing all of these dumb things. And you might be sitting out there and you might be thinking, you know what, I've got some stuff in my family history. And and I just can't get past what has happened in my family. And I am who I am and I act the way that I act because of what my family did. Listen, you don't have to be stuck in what your family did. You don't have to be stuck in what your ancestors did. God can break any generational patterns out there that you might think you're stuck in. New legacies can emerge. 2 Kings chapter 12 verses 1 through 7 or 1 through 3 it records that Joash did right in the eyes of the Lord for the first part of his reign as king. As long as he was being led by Jehoiada, the priest, he was making wise decisions. He had this uncle, right, who was a priest who helped him, helped him walk in the ways of the Lord, helped him to do all of the right things. But then Jehoiada passed away, and then Joash, he starts to slip back into some of the things that his family had done all of these years, starts developing these patterns that he had been basically delivered from. And this is a lesson here in in how important it is to surround yourself with people who know the Lord. People who have your best interest in mind. People who can help you make the decisions in life that you need to to make. And you're thinking, okay, this is a great story. This is very interesting. I, too, would go watch the movie. But what can I learn today? What's this mean to me in present-day America? Here's the first thing if you're taking notes. Sometimes it takes quiet acts of courageous obedience for God's work to be done. Sometimes it takes just quiet acts of courageous obedience for God's work to be done. There's a reason why Jehoshaphat's name is mentioned in this passage. Because her actions went beyond just rescuing a baby. Even though that was incredible, even though she put her own life on the line. It goes beyond just rescuing a baby. What seemed like a clear moral obligation to her was protecting the lineage of our Savior. Think about that for a moment. What she did was way in, way more important than what she even thought it, it, it could be. She had no idea. She was just Protecting this baby and then this small courageous decision, God had a much larger plan going on and I tell you that to say we can never underestimate the choices that we make in life and what God might be doing in the bigger picture of things. God might be trying to do something in your life that he just wants you to make this Bold, courageous decision for him maybe. Maybe it's not all that bold. Maybe it's not all that courageous. But he just wants you to make a decision based on what he's asking you to do. Be obedient to him. Never underestimate how important that is. Oftentimes it's a seemingly insignificant thing that happens that might lead to God accomplishing some pretty amazing things in your life that you didn't even see coming. You remember the old saying, uh, big doors swing on small hinges? You've heard that before. In other words, the choices that we make in our lives have the potential to produce a much larger outcome. And that could be a good thing or a bad thing. Right? A good decision that you didn't even think about all that much. If, if all these wonderful things come uh not, come your way and maybe in the lives of your family and other people in your life that you didn't even think was all that big of a deal, but you were obedient and God honored that and it was huge. Or it could go the other way as well. You could make a decision at the time. You didn't really think it was all that big a deal. you think, what's it going to hurt for me to do this one thing? And then the collateral damage that happens because of a bad choice that you made, big doors swing on small hinges. That's true. truth. That's truth, And I believe that this all hinges on whether God is a part of the decision-making process or not. You know what happens sometimes? I counsel people who are maybe stuck in difficult marriages. And then they come in and they can't understand why God doesn't honor their marriage. But then maybe their marriage didn't start off on the foundation of God. And they've made all of these choices without God in the picture. And then they say, God, why don't you save it? Why don't you help it? Well, we have this decision every single day to honor God with our lives or not. We have this decision to honor God in our marriages or not. In his book, by the title we've discussed here, Big Doors Swing on Small Hinges, Roger Martis writes this. In the English language, the word but is small. However, the change it can produce or the outcome it brings can at times be large, exciting, profitable, or destructive. Truly, the trajectory of one's life can be forever altered. This is not only true for our day. It also lived out many times in the Bible. But Noah found favor in the eyes of God. But Daniel purposed in his heart. You see, but Jonah decided to do this. But Judas decided to do this. But God did this, right? This evil stepmother in this story, Athaliah, She was going to wipe out Joash so that she could rule. But Jehoshaphat stepped in and did a God-honoring, courageous thing. The thing that she knew was the right thing to do. I don't know about what decisions you might be facing in your life. I don't know what you deal with on a day-to-day basis. I don't know what choices you have to make every single day. But I encourage you, I don't care how small you might think it is, it needs to be bathed in a God honoring decision. I remember when I made the choice just out of high school to go to work for people's drug store. Okay Uh, the manager of the store there was a guy by the name of Sam Brown. Sam invited me to play church league softball with his church, and so I did, and then I thought to myself, well, you know, it's not right that I'm showing up to play softball all the time, even playing in front of other guys that I didn't think were as good as I was, and so I'm taking their playing time and not even going to their church, and so I think I probably ought to at least go to their church, right? And so I started going to the church uh, because I was playing softball for the church, right? I didn't realize that Sam had a sister named Stacy that I thought was pretty doggone cute. And so not only did I get to play softball, I got to know Stacy, and we started dating. And that led me to going to church there on a more regular basis, if you know what I'm talking about. Even when softball season was over, I kept... Well, the longer I went to Eastside Christian Church, the more I could sense God's calling on my life to go into ministry. And I went to Cincinnati Bible College in the fall of 92. Stacy and I were married in December of 93. I accepted a part-time ministry position at the Stringtown Christian Church in Grant County, Kentucky. I was there for 18 months. Then in the fall of 95, I accepted a full-time position at First Christian Church in North Vernon. I was there for 10 years. And then in a golf scramble at Otter Creek one summer, I ran into Rob Gaskell, who I would not seen for since high school. Good to see you this morning, by the way, Rob. Ran into Rob, and Rob said, hey, you ought to come be our next preacher. And I said, no, I'm fine right where I'm at. And the next thing I know, I'm packing my bags and moving to Columbus. Right? That was 18 and a half years ago. And, and, and I just started thinking about these, these small, what, what seemed like small decisions, these tiny hinges that God honored be blessed. And I know that's probably a way too much of my life than you want to hear about, but I think it illustrates how God, if you put those daily decisions in your life in front of him, he's going to bless them. He's going to bless them. He's going to guide you where he wants you to go. I also know that if you don't put God in those daily decisions, it can lead to some bad things As well, I remember one of my professors in Bible college that was telling me one time, as the legend goes, John Dillinger. Everybody remember John Dillinger? At least you've heard about him. If you're young and you don't know who it is, Google him. He was a bad, bad dude. He was a notorious criminal. And as the story goes, as a 10-year-old boy, he attended a church... And during a revival, he went forward during the revival, wanted to give his life to Christ and be baptized into him. And the elders of the church told him, no, you're too young. Big decision right there. Or big consequences there. What seemed like a small decision. Big consequence. We don't know. I mean, the, the lives that were lost, the people that were hurt, all of the wrong that was done by a guy by the name of John Dillinger, maybe could have been avoided. We are faced with so many difficult decisions in this life. Sometimes our decision is an indecision. Right, We decide to do absolutely nothing at all. I remember coming back from a revival one time, preaching a revival at my brother's church. There was about 40, 50 people there a night. I came back and, and someone said, would you have any decisions? I said, yeah, every night 50 people decided to do absolutely nothing but sit there. <laughs> you know? That's a decision. Indecision is a decision. Right? And it can lead to not having the results that God wants you to. To have Jehoshaphat made a courageous choice, it, it preserved the lineage of our Savior. She chose wisdom right in the midst of all of this folly in her life, and she chose wisdom. Would you agree with me on a regular basis every single day? We're surrounded by a lot of folly, and we have the opportunity to choose wisdom encourage you to do that and we need to become more aware of how much our daily choices matter that's the second thing if you're taking notes what seemed like or what may seem like ordinary faith to us is being used in a greater hidden plan again not only did Jehosheba save Joash but she made sure that he was safely uh, hidden for over six years and that was commitment I'm sure there were days when she felt tired of the task that she was undertaking. I'm sure there were days when she just wished it was all over and she could reveal this secret that she had going on in her life. Yet she remained faithful. And her faithfulness was rewarded. Listen, I get it. You I, we, we all are faced with decisions every single day, choices every single day. Do I do the honorable thing, or can I be dishonest just this one time? Do I tell the truth about this situation, or do I throw somebody under the bus to save my own skin? Do I fudge here just a little bit so that I can make more money, or do I keep my integrity Do I click on this link that I know is going to take me to a site that's going to take me to places my mind don't need to go? Or do I honor my commitment to my Lord and to my spouse? We are faced every single day with choices. Some of them are to do the right thing or not. It's not necessarily, a lot of times we preach about and we talk about not doing the wrong thing, but James tells us in chapter 4, verse 17 remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then to not do it. So sometimes there are things that we're not doing that we should be doing, and if we don't do it, the Bible calls that sin. You say, well, what's that include? Help the poor. Stand up for injustice, regardless of race or creed or lifestyle. I'm not saying endorse behavior. I'm saying when there's injustice, you've got to speak for those that can't speak for themselves sometimes and stand up for it. Visit the sick. Visit the elderly. Visit those who are in prison. And then the third thing this morning is this. Never underestimate the importance of legacy. Regardless of your family's heritage, as heirs with Christ, we can walk in new ways that please God and serves other people. And we have to seek wise counsel, and we have to lay these these things down at Jesus' feet. And it takes daily surrender of our old ways. It, it takes us crucifying them every single day until there's, there's no room for darkness in all of the light that's, that's around us. But a legacy of faith develops with one act of surrender at a time. Every single day. You never know, but maybe you will be the Jehoshaphat in a long line of wicked people that help save someone. And sometimes we have to make that courageous decision to do so. Patrick, the patron saint of Ireland, we just call him St. Patrick, he almost delighted in taking risks for the gospel. I can just kind of picture him as I understand the history of his life as saying, bring it on, I'm ready for it. He said this, I must take this decision, disregarding risks involved, and make known the gifts of God and his everlasting consolation. Neither must we fear any such risk in faithfully preaching God's name boldly in every place so that even after my death, a spiritual legacy may be left for my brethren and my children. I'm gonna guess that the legacy that he was trying to set, St. Patrick, was not wearing green and getting smashed every March 17th or whatever it was it is. Isn't that it? 16, 17, 18, somewhere around in there. I'm gonna guess that wasn't the legacy he was shooting for. But here's what happens: we get so caught up in the us sometimes. Right? We get so caught us in the right now sometimes. We fail. To stop and think about what's to come. And that is a legacy of Christ for future generations. That's what's at stake here. That's why we have to live like we're supposed to live. That's why it's important for us to make courageous, bold decisions for Jesus on a regular basis. I like the song by Casting Crowns, Only Jesus. And in it, Mark Hall, the lead singer and songwriter, writes, I don't want to leave a legacy. I don't care if they remember me. Only Jesus. And I've only got one life to live. I'll let every second point to him. Only Jesus. Now, that's what it's all about. I don't want to leave a legacy unless it's a legacy of Jesus Christ. I remember uh, Jeff Moore, another singer-songwriter. He wrote a song called, When All is Said and Done. And he said, you can forget my name and the songs I've sung. What's most important to me is how Jesus looks at me when all is said and done. That's the bottom line. That's what it's all about. And that requires consistent right choices. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up as we close. and I want to close by just sharing with you a little bit from Joshua chapter 24 where he gathers all the tribes of Israel together. This is an amazing scene when you stop and think about it. He's gathered all the tribes of Israel together and he said, listen, God has brought all of us uh, to this place. He's brought all of you to this place and he wants you to serve him. But you can continue living like you've been living if you want, but the choice is... Yours, But understand, whatever choice you make, if it's not the God-honoring choice, there's consequences. This is basically what he's saying. And in verse 15, he says, But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? In other words, make a choice, people. You want to serve them? Or you want to serve the Lord? And Joshua said, but as for me and my family, we'll serve the Lord. And the people replied, we would never abandon the Lord and serve other gods. For the Lord our God is the one who rescued us and our ancestors from slavery in the land of Egypt. He performed mighty miracles before our very eyes as we traveled through the wilderness among our enemies. He preserved us. It was the Lord who drove out the Amorites and the other nations living here in the land. So we too, we too will serve the Lord. For he alone is our God. This is what the Israelites said to Joshua. And then Joshua warned the people, you are not able to serve the Lord for he's a holy and jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins if you abandon him and serve other gods. If you serve other gods, he's going to turn against you. He's going to destroy you, even though he's been good to you in the past. If you turn from him, the outcome is not going to be good. And here's what the people said. No, we will serve the Lord. Joshua says, you're a witness to your own decision. You've chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, they replied, we are witnesses to what we've said. All right, then, Joshua said. If you're going to say you're going to serve the Lord, then I want you to destroy the idols among you and turn your hearts to the Lord the God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God. We will obey Him alone. The Israelites on that day made a courageous choice to serve the Lord, to destroy the idols that were in their lives and serve the Lord. As we close, let me ask you, what idols in your life need to be destroyed? What do you need to lay down in order to serve the Lord the way that He wants you to? Will you make that bold, courageous choice to say, I'm leaving this behind? This thing that is between me and God, I'm getting rid of it. I can't serve God and this at the same time. Let me ask you to stand with me. And um, some of you might need to decide, just like Joshua. I'm going to serve the Lord. As for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. Maybe some of you have said, wow, you know what? I I thought I was serving the Lord. (laughs) I didn't realize there's a lot of things going on that just shouldn't be there. Would you get rid of those? Maybe some of you just, you need to make that first-time decision to say, yeah, I'm going to step out and I'm going to surrender my life to Christ. I want to be baptized in him. I'm going to turn away from the sin that's in my life. Maybe that's a decision some of you want to make today. Whatever it is, we encourage you to come. Let's